Hello, Ryerson. It's Friday, October 2nd, and you're listening to Blue and Gold. From the Ryersonian, I'm your host, Alex Sear. It's official. Classes at Ryerson will be offered online this winter. So today, we focus on the ins and outs of Zoom learning. First, we'll talk to Ryersonian arts and life reporter Melissa Niembo about how students are choosing to dress for their virtual classes. Next, we'll hear some tips on how to use lighting and colors to look our best through a screen from Ryerson News Media Production Specialist Gary Gould. And finally, we hear from Carl Spooner, a Ryerson psychology professor who is using new techniques informed by his own research to optimize virtual learning for his students. We've all realized by now that it's all too easy to attend a full day of online classes in your pajamas. We've all seen the business casual on top, boxer shorts on bottom look, even when we didn't want to. Ryersonian arts and life reporter Melissa Niembo joins us today to discuss the different ways Ryerson students are dressing up, or down, to attend classes on Zoom, and how the way you dress can actually affect your motivation and productivity. Melissa Niembo, you spent the last week researching a topic that impacts people who wear clothes and people who use Zoom. So first, let me ask you, what's your Zoom style? I feel like when I have to turn my video on, I dress a lot, a little nicer, you know? Probably try to like wear a nice top or something like that. But usually it's like pajama, pajama bottoms. <laughs> if you can't see the bottom half, that's okay. And like a really nice t-shirt, but uh, keeping it really simple. <laughs> and is your approach a common one? Are students tending to dress for their classes like you? Not necessarily. I feel like most people, it's more about location. So they like to study like at a desk or something like that and not necessarily on their bed. But in terms of like style wise, most people are in like t-shirts and a hoodie, pajama bottoms, just keeping it really simple and comfortable. I was wondering if you found some conflicting ideas though when it comes to dressing for Zoom because there's definitely the one that you found dressing yeah. for comfort. But then one that I was thinking about is like the whole look good, feel good angle. Yeah, Did absolutely. You, yeah. I've had a couple people being like, like, in order for me to be productive, I have to wear jeans, like feel somewhat uncomfortable. Um, not like at, I'm at my home environment, more like I'm dressing to go to school and that's how they get the most done. Wearing jeans, I had some people like uh, wear a little makeup as well. Um, so anything to, for them to feel some sort of uh, a little bit productive. What do you think is going to be most popular, the dress for comfort or dress for success as we advance? Because we're going to be on Zoom for another school year now. I know. Um, I think people 
are are going to find a mix of kind of like to balance both. I mean, I mean, there's obviously certain days, even when we were in school, that some people would dress up and certain days where let's say you're running late or not feeling well and just want to put like a sweatpants and hoodies and and they go to school like that as well. So I think we're really going to find like some sort of middle. And in your piece, you reported on three women who had various uh, dressing strategies for their meetings, like you mentioned. I'm wondering if you talk to any men, does it seem like they care? Yeah, I reached out to quite a couple guys, but just no reply, like at all. Um, Or I get the comments like, yeah, I'm just in uh, my bed in my pajamas t-shirt and boxers and that's it so nothing particularly very special on that end so yeah well I can vouch for the nothing special and for the variability on the men's size I've worn everything on zoom from a shirt and tie to I think maybe an ugly Christmas sweater at one point in July (laughs) Um, but your piece makes me wonder if I should be giving more thought to my choice of wardrobe because uh, let me ask you when you get on zoom what does the other person's attire tell you? Usually, like, it's usually, like, something really simple, like a t-shirt, or when I see somebody really dressed up, then I sort of kind of sort of feel bad, because at the same time, it's like, we're in school, and we're learning, and but at the same time, it's online, so it's kind of hard also to, for lack of a better word, take it seriously. And uh, right now, for those who can't see, I'm wearing a striped white hoodie from American Eagle. Uh, Melissa, how am I doing from 1 to 10? Um, I would say 10 out of 10. I mean, it's comfort. And we're going for comfort. I mean, it's not too dressed down. I mean, it's something I'm assuming you would wear anyways to school. So why not? <laughs> I'll take the 10. And yeah. before I let you go, uh, any advice? for someone who's looking at their closet in complete puzzlement with minutes to go before class with no idea what to throw on? Well, I just feel like style is personal. Um, I think you just wear what you're comfortable in and what makes you feel the most productive. I mean, we are in school, even though we're online. So wear whatever you're comfortable with to make you the most productive throughout the day, whether that's wearing jeans or maybe like a full-on tie and tuxedo I don't know or maybe even if you're cool just wearing your pajamas and you feel like you can strive through the day then that's cool as well I think it's really personal. (laughs) Melissa Niembo you've become an expert on dressing for success or dressing for comfort thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. Whether you're Zooming from your bed, the desk, or the kitchen counter, your surroundings can really affect the appearance and quality of your video and audio during a class or meeting. Cinematographer and news media production specialist at Ryerson School of Journalism, Gary Gould, is here with us to share a few tricks of the trade that you can use from home to make sure you look and sound great. Dr. Gary Gould, we've tracked you down. Thanks a lot for being with us today. It's an honor. I love it. Thanks for asking me. Now, people who know you at Ryerson know that you like technology and you like to keep busy. Um, so it's no surprise that you've been given a whole lot of thought to how to optimize the Zoom experience. The first question I want to ask you is, is how can a student or a teacher make sure that they're being seen and heard 
properly through the screen. The way I got into uh, this kind of uh, Zoom camera uh, workshop and um, critiquing, uh, a few years ago, one of my students who works for Politico was doing a lot of interviews with CBC. And they would send me the links and I would watch it. And they were great on camera. They had lots to say, but their shot looked terrible. The, the person had done it in their kitchen. The camera was aimed up. You could see the person's ceiling light. You could see the garbage behind them on the countertop. And so I sent a note and I said to this person, and this is the kind of relationship we have. He critiques me on stuff, we go back and forth. So it's a very, uh, it's a great friendship. And I said, excellent interview, but just a couple tips. If you made your computer eye level, it would look better. And if you didn't shoot the ceiling and had a little better lighting, you could improve your shot dramatically. And this was somebody who was actually being paid to do interviews. So for a small investment, uh, he could improve his uh, setup dramatically. And then we moved into COVID and I see a lot of people on webcam now. And I had actually written up a little set of tips for my friend a few years ago and I had sent those tips off to, the, to him. And then in just a discussion in one of our journalism school discussions, I had mentioned that I had these tips and I was asked to kind of flush them out and do something with them. And I wound up putting together just a tip sheet you can get online, how to look fabulous in a webcam. And it seemed to get a lot of traction. People really thought it was, it was helpful. So how can students uh, do better? One of the biggest things is lighting. Uh, I'm looking at Alex's shot. You can't see it because it's a podcast, but Alex has a light behind him. So his face is completely in shadow. And what you want to do is have the light aimed towards your face, not towards the back of your head. So simply sometimes turning around will solve that problem. And the other thing too with Alex, with your shot, it looks like you're shooting up. I think your computer is too low. And so I'm getting a, an up shot, which I, means I see the light on the ceiling behind you. And it's a rather unflattering shot of anybody. It has nothing to do with you. Alex is a very attractive person. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about the angles. These are things that I've spent 30 plus years working in television learning. And I realize as a professional, it means thinking like a professional more than having a pro level light or anything like that. You can buy supplemental kit. You can buy these ring lights for 30, 40 bucks on Amazon. You can do all sorts of stuff. Even a small desk lamp uh, aimed at the wall, a white wall bounces a nice whitewash on your face and it looks great. Or put the computer in front of the window. So you're looking out, the window light is coming in and filling in your face and that looks fantastic too. So it doesn't take a lot to make you look a million times better. What are some common Zoom pitfalls? other than the lighting and the audio that students and professors should be aware of? One of the things I like about Zoom is you, uh, in some cases, can put a virtual background up. Again, your viewers can't see this, but I'm actually doing this particular uh, interview from my kitchen. Alex, you can see the kitchen behind me. I'm teaching a course this semester, and I actually built a little studio in my mom's basement because I realized the importance of having a great background and great lighting. And so the one thing that I wanted was a background that sort of reflected a professional, you know, professional attitude. And, and I have to be careful because I have lots of colleagues who are teaching from their basement and they are there as every bit professional. I don't mean that, but, but my skill set is television. I think the problem with Zoom, and we talk about Zoom fatigue, and I know you will ask about that probably. The difference is, is if you and I are sitting in a meeting or in a classroom, you can look down, you can look around, and you feel free to do that because the teacher's not always looking at you. The problem in a Zoom meeting is that you feel like you always have to stare at the screen because, as you know from being in Zoom meetings, when you are looking at the screen, you see everybody. 
So if I'm teaching a class and Alex, you're, I don't know, eating a sandwich or something, everyone will see you eating that sandwich. And that is a very, very stressful thing, uh, I think. I think it adds to the stress level. I know a lot of students don't want their cameras on, so they'll turn them off. Uh, a friend of mine teaches over at York University and part of the participation mark is you have to leave your camera on. If you leave your camera on to the class, you get one mark towards participation. Um, I, um, I don't think I would do that only because I, I think, to be fair to some people, uh, there, for, some people don't have webcams for, for one thing. Uh, some people are also sharing a room or, you know, they're like, look at me, I'm in my kitchen, right? And I don't necessarily want to uh, show that off to the class. I would say to also be careful of your microphone, make sure it's muted. Uh, I don't know if you've heard some things that it shouldn't be heard through the microphone uh, on Zoom. Uh, one of the features I really like of Zoom is once the microphone is muted, I can press and hold the space bar down to talk. And then when I let it go, it mutes the mic again. So if a teacher asks a question, I press the space bar, answer the question and let go. So you don't have to fiddle around to find the uh, click on mute button, right? The term that we throw around that you mentioned is Zoom fatigue and it's become a bit of a buzzword. People get tired of looking at the screen um, and start feeling burnt out and lethargic, especially sometimes under, uh, under strict orders to keep the cameras on. Um, do you have any tips on how to navigate that and how to uh, stay motivated and uh, keep enjoying these classes, especially now that we're going to be on Zoom until uh, the end of the school year? Uh, one of the things that uh, you will keep hearing is asynchronous, asynchronous. A lot of online is asynchronous so that people can work at their own speed. They can watch videos on their own time. One of the real problems that I found with Zoom is Zoom does not play videos real time. Uh, so let's say, Alex, uh, we have a short class. That's the other thing I was, you know, reading. Keep your classes shorter if when you're doing, if you're doing any live segments. Um, so I say, okay, we're going to watch this clip. And this happened to me last week in class. Most of the videos that I had assigned to watch, I gave them time during class. We stopped. They turned on. They went and watched the videos, which were in a folder for them to watch. And then they came back and we had discussed them. But I decided I would show a couple of the videos thinking, well, how bad could they be? Because we needed to critique some videos and they were bad. It was like a three second, I don't know, three frames per second frame rate. It was terrible. It would like stop and then it was just, it was really unwatchable. And so the, the problem with, uh, with live is that people have different internet speeds and I've had students send me notes like, hey, I missed part of the class because my internet dropped out. And that is a problem. Um, the, the problem with Zoom fatigue, I think, comes from being on camera too long. But again, I know that um, with the School of Journalism, we have pressed hard, is at least my understanding, to make a lot of stuff asynchronous. If you are getting burned out, um, it's my understanding that the, the classes should be recorded. Uh, I had a student, as I said, just reach out to me after last week's class. My internet dropped out. And I have the link to the Zoom recording. I hadn't put it up yet because she just sent it right after class, uh, so I can watch the so I can watch what I missed. So that's the other thing too. Like if you're like I just can't do this, uh, I would say talk to the instructor. Uh, also, to a lot of departments, I know the School of Journalism has a, um, a departmental assistant, our, 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 the great Beth Petrovic, uh, who you can reach out to and share with her, and then she can contact the professor and say, you know, Gary. She won't go into any details of issues and things I've told her privately, but she'll just reach out to the professor and say, this is a student who you know, will not be on camera or whatever. And um, the other thing I really believe, and I've been in lots of meetings, is 
I think everybody understands that this is different and it's new and it's challenging. And um, yeah, it'd be great to see on camera, but if it's really, if you just, you can't do it, you're not comfortable, then, then don't, don't do it. It's hard, it's, it is a challenge for sure. Um, and th that's the thing too. Sometimes you just need a visual break. Like if you just say, you know what? I don't know of any instructor that's, that's like gone after students said, hey, you turned your camera off partway through. Why wasn't your camera on? People get it. One of the things that I mentioned as a great tip is have a camera cover of some kind. So if you're using Mac, you cannot uh, buy an external one. I've got a little free one uh, that I have on my uh, computer and this computer I'm using here has a built-in um, cover so you can close the, the camera. That's the best thing. It, it is the best thing. Uh, get a post-it note and cover it up or a Band-Aid works great too. Um, and you have to get in with the MacBooks because they have such a tight closure. If you put something too thick on, it could crack the screen. So a post-it note works great. It's not going to wreck the camera right over top of the camera. So then you know for sure the camera's off. And I think there's something psychologically reassuring to me. Um, you know, maybe I left a Zoom meeting on or, you know, my camera has a little light on it, but how do I know that that's working? Well, Gary, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, your tips are always much appreciated and very helpful. Once again, where can people find how to look fabulous on webcam, your online tips? If you just Google how to look fabulous on a webcam, it should be the first hit that comes up. It's through Ryerson University, uh, the School of Journalism. So it's, I don't know the actual address, but it's like rsj.ryerson, uh, something like that. But I know you can find it. Um, as I said, it's, it's got a lot of good traction. Um, can I leave you with three quick tips? Sure. The quick tip, a uh, quick number, the easiest tip is just make your camera level. It's the most flattering shot of anybody. So put it on books. I've got my computer sitting on a box of popcorn right now. And so eye level to the camera. Do your best with lighting. Try to have the light come towards your face, not behind you. And um, to that end, try to avoid top lighting, like overhead room lighting is not as good as a desk lamp. And uh, again, the, uh, the people at home can't see this, but I went to the Dollarama, Dollar Tree and bought this white foam board here. And I just use it to bounce the light off into my face, which makes it look better. If you're a student in class, I don't think you have to worry about it, just whatever. Uh, but if you're doing an interview or let's say you're being interviewed for a job and you want it to look a little nicer, it's about the lighting in the eyes. So eye level and um, good lighting. And then the last thing is just framing. Don't sit too far back. Sometimes people tilt the screens too much. And so you get this little chopped off head and um, what you wear also makes a difference too. Alex, your viewers can't see that you're wearing a dark shirt with a dark background, like you're on a dark couch. And if I had a dark couch, I would wear a lighter colored top so that I stand out from the background and I don't blend into it. You notice I wore this green shirt for you today. Red, green, blue looks great on camera. So, uh, but again, let me just conclude by saying, don't feel any pressure. If you're just going to class, I, I wouldn't spend any time on lighting, put the computer where it's comfortable, uh, people don't care what you look like. The teacher certainly is not going to grade you on your, uh, on your look. But let's say you're interviewing somebody uh, for an assignment and you're doing a video interview. You know, some simple tips like that will look good. Or maybe you just don't like how you look on camera. And now suddenly, look at how great uh, the lighting is on my face. And boom, I look fabulous. One thing you may or may not know about me, Alex, is years ago I was in Vogue magazine with Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, we, we, we posed together when I was teaching in England. And one of the things I learned about that photo shoot is uh, it's all about the lighting, right? Uh, we both looked great because there was evening light, the way the light was coming through the trees. They did not bring any flash. They didn't bring any external light. It was just natural lighting. And you can do a lot of with natural lighting if you know which, where, how, to, um, how to do it properly. And um, it's a work in progress too, right? Every time you 
you know, you try something and think, hey, that looks, that looks better. Next thing you know, you're doing a video podcast. So I'll come back when you give a video podcast. Okay, Alex? That sounds good. And for the record, I did see Vogue magazine. The pictures did look good and it wasn't just Paltrow. So take those tips seriously. They go a long way. Gary Gould, thanks again for being with us. A Ryerson professor's findings about how to optimize virtual learning could not have come at a better time. Dr. Carl Spooner researches memory and learning and teaches in the psychology department. Earlier this year, he was granted funding to study how learning can best happen through a screen. This year, he has been applying his findings to his cognitive psychology classrooms. Here, he tells us more about the technique he uses to keep his students engaged. Online education over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, it's getting more and more popular. I think in, in Canada, it's somewhere from, or even in, in Canada and the U.S., it's anywhere from like one to five or one to seven individuals are doing all of their undergraduate education online already. And pre-COVID, one in three students have taken at least one full, fully online course. That's, that's always been there. And now it's like a bomb went off and now everyone, it's like you almost have, you have to be doing it. And so now we really want to understand like how can we, how are we going to be structuring these materials in a way that is going to be helping students? What are some of the challenges that you anticipate uh, for the year? For a student, like I, I can only, you know, it's, it's hard enough trying to like record your lectures and then and attend faculty meetings and then you have kids running around around and like so you know I think everyone's experiencing challenges but I think with students especially it's got to be a bit tough because you know if you're taking four or five classes and each of those you know professors are free to structure those courses in any way they want right and so there's a chance you're taking five classes that are structured in five very different ways and you know then you've got to do all the work to stay on top of how each one is being run and your responsibilities for those and maybe you know, there's one particular way it's being done that you like, another way that doesn't suit your sort of things that you gravitate towards. And so I, I can imagine for, I think that to me, if I was a student still, I, I would think that that might be a little bit tough just because, you know, I mean, we've had the summer to prepare, but um, realistically, I think everyone's still sort of being thrown into this and, and uh and so it's, yeah, by no means are, is anybody's course going to be a perfect online course. And so I think, I think the challenge for the students especially is just going to be, okay, how do I navigate through this, this just like, you know, wild assortment of, <laughs> of different types of ways that people are approaching their teaching. Um, so, so that to me, I think, you know, I definitely sympathize with students for that. Right. Yeah. There's almost two sides of the spectrum, too, because if every class is the same and it's like always a bunch of Zoom meetings, maybe that's tough as well. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's actually a really great point. Um, and I think that, yeah, if, if every class was you just have to be online and you're paying attention for three hours and then you go to, I think that it would just get really, you know, this this type of uh, Zoom fatigue stuff or whatever. Like, Yeah, that's actually a really good point you're making that having some variability in there could also help um so yeah yeah you can definitely look at it uh two different ways either way um either way uh i sympathize with the students i guess <laughs> tell me a bit about the research side 
Yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely tell you a bit about it. And it's, I mean, it's very much related to the teaching. And in fact, it, it's sort of, it's motivated by our experiences by the teaching, from teaching, right? So, um, yeah, so this is like a four, it's a four year grant that we're getting from the National Science Foundation in the United States. And um, it's in collaboration with um, a colleague of mine, his name is Jason Chan. Um, he's at Iowa State University. Um, and the basic idea behind this work is um, it's, you know, what happens, what are, what are obstacles that we experience when we learn and how can we figure out a way to help people around those obstacles, right? And one thing we're starting to learn a lot more is that it's not necessarily gonna be incumbent on the learner to do something to help themselves out, but maybe it's incumbent on us to re-engineer the learning experience, right? And so I guess what I'm sort of getting at is whether you're in a lecture hall or you're having a conversation like this, or you're reading from a textbook or you're watching a video online, um, learning happens over an extended period of time. And at some point, your mind is going to wander, right? Um, at some point, you are gonna start thinking about what you're doing later today, your plans for the weekend, the fact that you're hungry, whatever it is, there's our minds just wander, right? Um, and they do that quite a bit. And um, in no way was, did our brain evolve for us to sit still and listen to someone drone on about facts that I've never heard about before for one or two hours. It's just, that's not what our brains were made to do. And so it's no surprise that our minds wander so much. And, and what we know is that when our minds wander, it impairs learning, right? It gets in the way of learning. Because if I'm not paying attention to what's going on in the video or in class, then I'm gonna miss it. And, and that's gonna hurt my ability to, to learn that information, right? And so, or at the very least, I'm gonna be wasting my time because now I have to go back and you have to rewind the video to, to where, you know, and we've all had this experience where we're reading something and you get halfway down the page and you realize you've been thinking about something else. So you gotta go back and reread it. Well, now people are gonna be experiencing this more and more with videos, right? They're gonna realize, oh my gosh, I started thinking about my plans for tonight. And I gotta go back and rewind this. And so what can we do to make learning more efficient? Um, and so what we've, uh, one thing that we've been working on, uh, man, I wanna say like some of this started when I was a graduate student um, about a, 10 years ago now, uh, at least. We've been working on this intervention where basically, you know, when, when people learn in a classroom setting, you know you're not responsible for expressing what you've learned until you get to an assignment or a midterm or something like that, which might be weeks or months down the road, right? So where's the incentive to pay attention now? Um, what, we, what we realize is that if we take, let's say, a 20-minute video and we interpolate um, questions throughout the video, so let's say every five minutes we stop the, the video and we say, hey, before we go on, here's a question about something you just learned. Can you answer this? And then you can go on and then you get the next five minutes and then you get a question about that segment and so on. When we do this type of interpolated testing, what happens is that we can actually reduce the occurrence of mind wandering and boost the level of learning, right? And one reason why we think this works is um, now you're expected to express what you've learned a few minutes from now, not a few weeks or months from now. And all of a sudden um, people start paying more attention. Um, and there's, there's a lot of other uh, things that are happening when we do this type of interpolated testing. That's the one part of it that I think resonates most 
closely with student experiences. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the call and chatting. Here's what we're following this week. Premier Doug Ford said at a press conference on Monday morning that Ontario is officially experiencing a second wave of COVID-19. The announcement came shortly after the Ontario Hospital Association published a statement asking for Toronto, Ottawa, and all GTA regions to return to Stage 2 restrictions. In other news, Ryerson has formed a new 10-year partnership with global higher education organization Navitas in the goal of increasing the university's international student intake and of growing the university's international presence. Lastly, Uber launched a new no-mask-no-ride policy last week for both passengers and drivers. The company stated in a press release that 1,250 riders have lost access to the app after drivers reported that they were not wearing a mask. That's all for this week's Blue and Gold. Thanks a lot for listening. Catch up with us next week for more of your community's top stories. Blue and Gold is a production of the Ryersonian and Ryerson School of Journalism. I'm your host, Alex Sear, and our executive producers are Jasmine Ratch, Sidra Jaffrey, and Dania Ali. Our editor-in-chief is Patrick Swadden, and our managing editor is Michelle Allen. Our instructors are Peter Baker-George and H.G. Watson. Until next time.